0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz pianist Jeb Patton. His latest album is 2015's Shades and Tones, and like all of his work, it's impressive as a modern jazz voice out there. From Silver Springs, Maryland, he did pre-med at Duke University before switching over to music and learning from Sir Roland Hanna and the great Jimmy Heath at the Aaron Copeland School of Music at Queens College. He's had a very interesting career path, and he shared it with us. So get to know Jeb and dig this interview, my friends.
1: So I'm going to go ahead and dive right in here just to get an idea of what's going on in your world. What kind of activity is going on as far as recording, live dates, things that are going on in your musical world?
2: Well, I guess I'm, I'm getting, getting ready for, um, you know, I, I have some things around town. Presently, I'm, I'm playing with some singers. I, I just came from the Detroit Jazz Festival with Roberta Gambrini, and I'm about to play with Marlene Urplank out in Long Island, and then I have something with Barbara Cook in a couple weeks out in Iowa, you know, as well as some, other uh, uh, gigs around town, and then next month I'm getting ready to do some uh, the Jim, Jimmy Heath's 90th birthday. So I'll be doing a lot of big band and small band um, concerts with Jimmy Heath.
1: Which leads me to my next question about Jazzmobile. He Being involved with Jazzmobile, Jimmy has been such a huge influence. What's it going to be like to perform at the 90th?
2: I think he's really excited about it. It's going to be a lot of people will be involved. You know, and, and he's going to have some some of his songs with words. Uh, we did a project with Roberta Gambrini, you, you know. So, so it's, it's going to be like big band, small band, vocal versions of his tune. It should be very interesting. Right on. So where
1: were you born and raised?
2: I was born in Washington, D.C., but I was raised, you know, in the suburbs in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland.
1: Okay. What was it about your childhood that got you so interested in jazz, and more specifically, just in a broader range with music?
2: My father played sort of uh, for fun, you know. So my brother and I wanted to take piano lessons from an early age. But you know, I come from mostly a classical background. When I was going to college, I was thinking about going to Peabody or or something like that, or a music school, or I was thinking about just going. I ended up not going to music school, but I mean, my background isn't really, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really find out about jazz until 10th or 11th grade through some friends of, well, actually, yeah, through my uh, a father of one of my good friends who had a big Coltrane record collection.
1: Is that safe to say those were the first seminal albums in your jazz listening that really kind of bowled you over was Coltrane?
2: Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, and I know I had this, like, compilation tape. It was like a, you know, cassette tape. One side was Ray Draper with Coltrane, the tuba player, and and the other side was Echoes of an Era, which I I believe is, like, a compilation where it had songs like Exotica and Like Sunny and, uh, that period with McCoy. And then then later in 12th grade, uh, a friend of my mom's got me involved with Bud Powell, listening to those records. So I really fell in love with that when I was sort of a freshman in college.
1: So when you hit that stride and really got into jazz and started hitting high school and college, was it a foregone conclusion that you were going to follow music as a career path, or did you have other aspirations?
2: Wow. No, you know, it was it's kind of funny. I, I didn't end up going to music school, so was, and music was, you know, I was doing classical competition, local stuff around Maryland. And it was just something I was doing on the side. And I went to, I ended up going to Duke University, sort of thinking I'd do pre-med or something like that. But I got there and I did about a year and a half of that. But then I met Paul Jeffrey, who uh, was a big influence on, you know, he, he really got me involved in writing for Big band, And we were doing concerts all the time. So I sort of became, yeah, I, I sort of changed in college. Not thinking that I'd really, you know, I was just I was just uh, totally enmeshed with it. I wasn't really thinking about my career path or anything like that. But I, I did get, I got a chance to play with a lot of people as a side man. And, uh, you yeah, know, just took it from there.
1: So when you were done with college, where did you go? Did you go to New York or what happened after that? Uh,
2: yeah, I followed my friend Todd B. sure. Who is a great saxophone player, and uh, he was going to Queens, and so I just immediately went to Queens College after I finished Duke to meet Jimmy Hees and and um, Roland Hanna. It started from there. So I, I went to the Queens program after Duke.
1: Right on. So how long did it take for things to really start happening in New York for you to start really getting a lot of gigs and playing with cats? Wow. When- How long was that? Interesting question. You know,
2: I I feel I was very lucky in a way. I was lucky enough to meet Jimmy at a time that he was sort of retiring from Queens, going on the road. So I got a chance to go with him and and his brothers to travel right after I finished Queens College. So that that was a big opportunity for me. And um, also I started playing a lot at this place called Cleopatra's Needle where I met people like Julius Tolentino and Jeremy Pelt, Michael Rodriguez, and a lot of people like that who, who were just, you know, were coming to town around the same time. You know, as far as a lot of gigs have, you know, that I, that's a hard question. You know, it's I, it's piecing things together, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I spent a lot of years in Queens and long doing gigs out in Long Island and, you know, playing for some singers, playing, kind of trying trying to... Become adaptable, I guess. Early on, I, I was still doing. I was still doing sort of some classical stuff. I was part of this chamber group in Chicago, doing some uh new music. You know, so so I was just following these different kind of paths. Then, I, then a little bit after that, I started studying classical music again, and had this idea of sort of mixing those two worlds. But I, I mean, re- I've kind of gotten away from that. But I, I guess those those all kind of lead into uh contribute to whatever style you have or your direction. So I guess I have a lot of outside influences when I play.
1: Yeah, and you know, speaking of outside influences, you're obviously in the cradle of jazz in New York, but when you go out and step out to a country like, you know, Italy, you know, Monaco, mm-hmm. Portugal what does travel do to enhance your music voice? How does it add to who you are and what you're trying to say? I,
2: I think I, I just hear stories about like the uh the Art Blinky Band, bands that would go on the road for playing in one place for 30 days at a time. I mean, that, the level you get to, I never really had the opportunity to do that, but traveling with a band playing night after night, it it, it allows you to get to a higher level of, Interplay of, of just your reflexes, just musical, musical decisions that you make, things that you can't practice in a practice room. You can only get from like going out on the road or not, or just being in New York, playing a lot of gigs night after night, I think is something that helps your musicality. It doesn't have to be necessarily abroad, but just the, you know, the act of playing with people night after night. Uh, is very helpful.
1: You know, I, I wanted to kind of backtrack on what you were talking about Queens College with Sir Roland Hanna and Jimmy Heath. Is there advice, you know, things that they gave you that you remember to this day before you climb into a studio or get on stage that just kind of resonates really well with you?
2: I guess, you know, Jimmy and, and also Percy Heath and Tootie, for that matter, they, they're really very supportive, very encouraging, and, they, you know, they're, they're just... They they always say, well, you know, you got to just play your little songs, meaning don't try to be another person, you know, be who you are. And, and uh, if you can just get into that mind setting, it can really help with a lot of different psychological problems that might come your way. And Roland Hanna was and, and Jimmy just he, he was telling me about one of his favorite phrases on the plane coming back from Detroit. What was good is good. He likes to say that. So that's a nice you know, having the feeling that you always have to be new and what's new and it equals innovation, but that's not really necessarily true. Um, I've always been impressed with Jimmy being so open to new modern ideas, but at the same time, you know, he, you know, they, they stress the importance of being grounded in the history can help you. If, If you know about the history, you can know about the future, that kind of
1: thing. Yeah, how did you get involved with Jazzmobile? Um, I guess
2: through through Jimmy, mostly through Jimmy and his small band and gigs with him, and as as well as with his big band.
1: So, what have you gotten from Jazzmobile? How how has it treated you? Oh wow,
2: well, it's a great community. I mean, I, well, you know what? I, I think I, I have some great memories of of playing on stage at like Grant's Tomb, and just the audience reaction and the uh, energy and I have a memory playing with Frank West, at Jazzmobile concert. And it's just, you know, it's just a community feeling and a feeling of
1: support and encouragement. You know, since that move to New York, you played with some pretty heavy hitters, Jimmy Cobb, Louis Nash, uh, Rufus Reid. There's uh, a lot of names. So my question is this, from all of these folks that have such mileage in their rearview mirror, what do you learn from veterans? What do you take away from their craft and what they do on stage?
2: I guess it's, it's just an energy. It's just um, a feeling of a lot of those veterans, they have such a great feeling when they play because music is so precious to them and they really are able to convey that to an audience. And a lot of those, you know, the the, the great masters, they're incredible performers as well as being incredible musicians. Like the way they carry themselves on and off stage and just their whole aura is something to be inspired by and try to
1: emulate, I guess. And, you know, you are a, uh, a very key voice that's going on in modern jazz these days. So let me ask you this. What is your voice? What conversation do you like to have on stage when you get up there and play? I want to create an environment that like up on stage where it's, it's
2: fun. Like there's, there's a feeling of having fun and there's a feeling of, you know, maybe some tradition, you know, some tradition, at least as an outline and then having things happen in the moment that doesn't sound overly rehearsed. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I got a chance to do some trio gigs last year or or, earlier this year, you know, uh, Abroad, and, and one in in particular with Lewis Nash and John Weber in Switzerland, and that was really fun. I mean, I really appreciated what they they bring such a powerful voice to what what they do. It just made the music so much more joyous. I guess. I mean, you know, com, you know, when you're playing with those kind of guys, it, it sort of lifts you up, and so I, I just want to have a feeling of something that's lifting a feeling of like lifting lifting you up but also accessible i guess accessible not too overly complicated or intellectualized and something that still has a beat to it and and still has sort of a jazz foundation to it and uh yeah i I still feel like it's fresh music to, uh you know even if you 're doing like a kind of a traditional trio situation where you're you know the piano is playing the melody and the bass player' walking and and the drummers playing a swing rhythm, I still feel like there's a lot in there that's you know that it's not like uh, um, totally uh like that that's that's uh that's that's a realm that still can be explored, and you don't have to necessarily purposely try to do something different just to be different for the sake of of being, the the feeling of swing is still pretty strong, can be pretty strong. I mean, it's still alive and well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I agree. So let's talk a little bit about your career. You know, you start out in, in Maryland, you move your way to Duke, you go on to Queens College, you play with a lot of cats, You've done a lot. You've traveled a lot. How do you feel about your career trajectory? Where you're at today and where you came from? When you look back on your career right now.
2: Um, that's, that's, I, I just feel like I'm going, you know, just month to month. I, I mean, I do feel like nowadays I'm, I'm heading t- toward this more and more teaching, uh, more of the educational uh, direction of things. Um, I got these two books out that, you know, that, that kind of, it took up a lot of my time in the last couple of years. I guess I feel like my career might be going in that direction slightly, which I don't feel bad about. I mean, I, I feel like I, I, I'm trying to get better at that, teaching young people about the music, and uh, I enjoy that a lot. So as far as a career, like to make it or to become successful, I haven't really... I don't really have that incredible drive of I'm going to make it. I, I, I haven't... I don't really feel you know, like a career trajectory in the traditional sense. Let me do this and this, then maybe my career will be, maybe I should have more of that feeling of if I do this and this, then I could, it'll be good for my career. I need to think about that more. I'm I'm a little too disorganized and laid back for that kind of stuff. You know, I, I do enjoy a lot of different aspects of it. I don't feel like I have to, you know, be a soloist necessarily and be, like I feel like my career could go in different. It doesn't necessarily have to go in that path of becoming a soloist or a true, you know uh, head of my own trio all over the world. I mean that would be great. Just trying to take it one step at a time.
1: So you mentioned Bud Powell. You mentioned John, you mentioned John Coltrane. You know we're we're only really as, as good I think sometimes as the shoulders we stand on. So I'm going to ask this: Who would you consider your jazz heroes?
2: Well, one I'm going to have to say Sir Roland Hanna just. The way he thinks about music, I, I really, that's one of my heroes. I'll definitely say McCoy Tyner, even though I myself, is, I'm not like a expert in that style. I, I don't, but I, I, I he's definitely one of my heroes. I'll say Phineas Newborn, Barry Harris, Bud Powell and Horace Silver. I mean, I don't know, that's hard. I, I, have a, I mean, I could keep on going from there, but. I, I'm, I guess I'm really moved by Phineas Newborn, Art Tatum, and Bud Powell.
1: Sure. Well, let's whittle things down a little bit here, and let's get kind of magical a little bit. And if you could get into that jazz DeLorean, and you could go back in time, what year would you go to, and who would you want to see live? Oh, wow. Okay.
2: You know, maybe, maybe I would go... I I think I would... I'd like to go... Maybe the late '50s, early '60s. I see the band, you know, see maybe Horace's band or the early '60s, and and maybe maybe see the see Phineas Newborn play live yes. at, at that at that time period during that time.
1: So let me ask you this: It's kind of a generic question, but why do you love jazz?
2: It allows you to be on a team to you know help you know sort of have this team energy and to create something new every time you play yeah so it's sort of the improv plus the teamwork and i, I kind of you know i was always a pretty terrible athlete but so i felt you know jazz i was the first time i felt like i was on a team i was like in you know, an important position on a team playing something a common goal the goal being, you know, just to make the music feel good for the soloist and, you know, I, I like that about jazz. I mean, I guess other music has that too, but and jazz has the added component of improvisation in the moment, doing things differently, not being locked into a certain thing that's written, you know, I, I like that a lot.
1: Is there anything that a fan has said to you after a recording or a live show that you remember? One of the nicest things that someone said to you about your music?
2: I can't remember the exact words or anything, but, I mean, just someone that's been really touched by it that it meant a lot to them to be there in that moment at the time, you know, so... You know, I've, I, you know, I've had that happen even in... Like, not a big gig, like some some little bar or something, and someone that's really touched by the music, you know, and uh, that's makes it, you know, worth, worth it.
1: So everybody has a version of who Jeb is. Uh, you know, your family does, your friends, your business associates, but who do you think you are? When you wake up in the morning, you face the world, you go out, you be you. Who are you?
2: Well, I think my wife always teases me that I don't have a lot of hobbies outside of piano. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think, yeah, that who I I, li- I like to to think about the way music works and, and I'm, I guess I'm really a person who's wrapped up in piano. I mean, if I, if I could just be in a basement practicing piano, that that's kind of very uh, desirable thing for me. I, I, the performance part of it maybe is, I know other people are, you know, they crave the being in front of an audience, that kind of thing. I mean, I do in a little way, but, I'm more into just the actual, just the way music works. So I'm I'm just always thinking about the inner workings of music. I, I mean, that makes me sound like a super anti-social person, and at the same time, I do enjoy being around people.
1: No, it it's, makes sense. It's it just sounds like you you love yeah. your music. That's and there's, there's to be honest. Yeah, to be
2: honest, I have other interests, but it's just that
1: I feel like it's.
2: Always, there's always something interesting to to uh, get into. I never feel bored. Like, okay, I did that. Let me go try scuba diving now. You know, although I did, you know, I tried that once. It's kind of I'd like to do that again at some point. But
1: yeah, no, I dig it. I dig it. That's a great answer. And, th- and that's all I had. I saved the uh, hardest for last. Jeb, thank you for taking some time out. I appreciate yes. your answers and your story. Great okay. stuff.
0: Okay, thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Jeb for his time, his honesty, and all those stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit the Neon Jazz YouTube channel. And for all things Neon Jazz, the home of Neon Jazz, the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.